I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We're exactly three weeks from Election Day 2022, so it's a good time to hear from a lot of the candidates who are in close races. We play audio that I think will show a pretty stark contrast between the two sides. You realized just about all the Democrats, from polished frat boy Tim Ryan to John the Bunyan fetter woman, they all have the same awful ideas. Even Obama was heckling Democrats for not doing a good job this election cycle, which is kind of mean because he's not really helping at all. And we touch on that quite a bit in the beginning of the show before we delve into some other topics, including Kanye West, who can't stop Jew bashing. There's more evidence that the Biden inflation and recession are here to stay. Xi Jinping is seriously considering invading Taiwan, it appears, and much more gets covered in the top of the broadcast. Then we speak to our guest today, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, and she talks about the threat of China, the threat of irresponsible gain-of-function research, the pain American families are facing due to the Biden inflation, and why she believes Republicans are headed for a big win in three weeks, plus more in the interview. Let's get into it. get into the news and we'll begin with some uh, political stuff according to a poll voters believe the republicans are more in touch with top issues than democrats and the democrat leadership is out of touch uh, this is yet another example that i will continue to bring to the show that suggests the red wave is likely uh, this is a harris poll and it looked at the top issues it looked at the top politicians and pretty much across the board what the Republicans are talking about are crime, inflation, immigration, things like that. And that's what people seem to care about. And what the Democrats care about is January the 6th and climate change. And when you're paying through the nose on gas um, and when the, uh, Trump has been president for a couple years, then it, it's just a it, it is a tough sell to the public right now. When everyone is seeing their grocery bills go up, their gas bills go up. Uh, their lives get less safe, and maybe even some of their, in their life has been um, harmed by the influx of fentanyl. And yet the Democrats continue to focus on Donald Trump, and they continue to focus on lawlessness. They're very, very concerned about lawlessness. They really want to make sure that there's as few laws as possible in the United States and uh, around the United States, just getting in. So uh, they also don't have very popular charismatic leadership. Chuck Schumer has been there forever. So is Nancy Pelosi, who's pushing triple digits at this point. Uh, Joe Biden uh, did not does not know what century he lives in. He referred to life in 1922 yesterday. It's not a joke. He uh, does these things, and I sometimes w wonder if he's doing some sort of a trolling effort. Typically speaking, he's not. Um, according to a leak, Hunter Biden attended a $40 million real estate deal, or I'm sorry, attained a $40 million real estate deal with a Russian billionaire while Joe was vice president. So Wendell Husebo wrote this up for us at Breitbart. Uh, he the, was working with a Russian billionaire and the wife of the former mayor of Moscow, Yelena Baderina, one of the stars of Peter Schweitzer's research. And they reached a $40 million real estate deal in 2012. 
So the this is uh, they had other massive deals, but this is the biggest one that they worked on yet. They started part of a pooled real estate fund to be allocated into long-term investments a hunter identified as profitable in the United States. And such investment vehicles are common among sophisticated investors, and we certainly know Hunter is one of those. Also, a very sophisticated crack smoker and a firearms fraudster, apparently. So, he had plans to acquire seven buildings in Texas, Colorado, Alabama, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and he was going to need a lot of cash and need a lot of leverage. So this is good reporting from the Daily Mail, assuming it's true, which I believe it is. A team with so many oligarchs. And that is how he made so much money. Because the oligarchs are uh, protected in where they are and they get uh, endless funds of money. Uh, this type of stuff weighs on people. And this is why you get Republicans leading by five in a generic congressional ballot, which is huge because typically in the country, the the Democrats have a voter registration advantage. So I don't know what the freshest numbers are right now on voter registration, but I do know that typically speaking, Democrats are ahead on voter registration uh, by a few percentage points. So if Republicans are winning by five points on a generic ballot, then that gives them uh, the, the chance to really run up the score. Um, this is from Trafalgar, which is generally favorable to Republicans, but it's also been more accurate than most of the others for probably similar reasons, to be honest with you. So uh, we're looking at this, getting exciting, getting exciting out there. So yesterday there was a couple of debates that went on over the last couple of days. We've pooled some clips together, and I want to play, give you a sense of where some of the races are at. Um, let's start with, we got a quick one from, uh, John Fetterman, who's in a CNN interview. He has got to, they got to, they got to push him out there cause he's struggling now and everyone thinks he's incapable of talking. So we're going to get some good Fetterman, I think for the next few weeks here, he was in CNN. Let's play cut two there, Mr. Zach. Do you support any restrictions on abortion? I don't. I've always believed Even in the third trimester. I, 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 I believe that choice is between a woman, her doctor and a God, if she prays to one. And a god? Say that again. No, he didn't say a god. Did he really? Go ahead. Do you support any restrictions on abortion? I don't. I've always believed... Even in the third trimester? I, 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 I believe that choice is between a woman, her doctor, and a god if she prays to one. Wow. A god if she prays to one. So he's implying there could be multiple gods or no god. So that's his take. He's just one of you guys. Got a huge goiter on the back of his neck. Wears a hoodie everywhere has a degree from Harvard and lived off his parents into his 40s. He's just like one of you. He's for the union way of life. He wants to stop job to job as we played yesterday. So um, that is something you would think if he wasn't so nuts, that clip would be more places. A God, if she prays to one. Uh, that must be a big comfort for the baby that's been gestating for eight and a half months in the womb and um, has been viable for several months out of the womb. And if you think that stuff doesn't happen, I think there's about 6,000 third trimester abortions a year, which is two 9-11s worth. Sick position, and the Democrats have allowed all their top people to have this, and with a clean conscience. 
actually their conscience struggles when they actually believe that uh, uh, the, it's okay for a woman to a woman to take a pregnancy to term, carry the pregnancy to term, if she's not thrilled about the pregnancy. That's where they have a problem morally to ask a woman. I mean, and who's to say what a woman is these days, as we all know. But let's say you asked a woman who's pregnant and is not thrilled about being pregnant to carry that child to term. That's where they have a problem morally. They don't have a problem morally with the uh, execution of a child that has uh, a, a eight months plus in the womb. Nice. All right, Pennsylvania, up to you. I'm not saying Dr. Oz is Mr. Pro-Life, but I'm just saying that uh, he'll probably vote properly on judges who will determine the stuff. Probably. You got a good chance. All right, um, we are tracking the J.D. Vance-Tim Ryan debate. Those of you who are unfamiliar with Tim Ryan, Tim Ryan is a frat bro who is running against J.D. Vance. There's a lot of J.D. Vance talk on the show, not as much Tim Ryan. Um, but uh, Tim Ryan was a fraternity bro, and then he's been in public life as a uh, elected person for 20 years. That's why uh, I will be referring to him, if he wins, as Senator Brosif. It's a combination of bro and Brosif. He's the guy who said he wants to kill the MAGA movement and um, then double down on it. So the violent rhetoric. So dark guy. Uh, and he was going up against J.D. Vance. We had some, some clips of this. Let's hear, what do, what do we go with? Uh, cut seven. Do it. Let me address a bigger issue here. So what Tim Ryan said about dealing with border security actually sounds okay. But it goes to the heart of why Tim Ryan has been a failed leader and would be a failed senator. You cannot honestly pretend to be a defender of border security when you have voted for amnesty multiple times in the Congress. You cannot pretend to be a defender of border security when you have voted against border wall funding multiple times. You know, members of Congress get to take somebody to the State of the Union address. And a few years ago, Tim Ryan took somebody to the State of the Union address, not somebody affected by the opioid problem, not a steel worker who lost his job because Tim Ryan didn't do his. He took an illegal alien. His entire 20 years in Congress, he has been anti-border security, and now we're paying the consequences for it. And my simple argument to Tim Ryan, or to especially people in the Mahoning Valley, is if you don't do your job, you don't deserve a promotion. Do your your job on border security, Tim, then come and ask the people of Ohio for promotion to the U.S. Senate. Ooh, good stuff. That's very crisp, very crisp, all accurate. And one of the top issues, and this is a top issue for people in Ohio because Ohio has been ravaged by globalism because of all the manufacturing jobs, et cetera, that were outsourced, shipped out. And the fentanyl, the drugs have flooded in to replace it. So the open border is a big consequence. So uh, Congressman Brosif has a really terrible record on this. And, and so it's all pandering. He knows it's bad policy. He knows that's bad policy, which is almost more irritating to me. He doesn't really believe in amnesty. He's a cynical politician. All right. Um, let's play cut eight. Let's get a little bit more going. When the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the great, great replacement theory, I'll tell you, you exactly, peddling it. I'll tell you you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags online and in person because you are so desperate for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism. We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the, the country without being a racist. And this just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, and he's mad about this because of his kids, and I feel the same way. My kids are being attacked. Uh, this is a, something that's gone on, and um, I, I actually asked JD about this offline, and I, it never came up on the show, But um, uh, and I don't think I reported it in any text at Breitbart. Uh, but this has been something that's been going on that the because JD has talked about the Great Replacement. I think I don't even recall, but the Great Replacement is something that's obviously happening, where Democrats are replacing Americans with non-Americans. It's just a statement of fact. There's no racial component to it. It's 100 percent true that it's happening because Americans, the longer they're Americans, end up voting Republican. So they need to keep in Democrats aren't having children, as we mentioned. Um, so in fact, they're uh, very comfortable slaughtering children. So the uh, so of course they need to replace the Republicans, or you know the former Democrats who are becoming Republicans, and replace the kids they're not having with by importing people who will eventually raise Democrats or be Democrats themselves if they ever get the vote. So of course it's happening. It has nothing to do with their race, um, because if they brought in you know secular Europeans, they'd be voting Democrat. So it's not just that these people are from south of the border in a lot of cases. They're importing Democrats. So uh, that is, um, and this is being f- framed because people like JD, who's very much America first nationalist, um, that must make him some sort of a racist. Problem is JD's got a brown wife. And JD's got three children, makes them brown children. So Mr. Racist guy is actually creating new brown people. Unlike the Democrats who uh, like the idea of um, you know the abortion holocaust of the black community, where for every live birth in many places you're seeing one abortion. They advocate for that, and yet JD's a racist, and his family gets attacked as racist and uh, is gets smeared, even though his children are not white. Isn't that something you would think you would be off the hook for the racism if you're creating new brown people? You would think that. But apparently not. Apparently not in um, Tim Ryan's universe. So, uh, yeah, good stuff from there. Um, let's see. Uh, this is good. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep going. I'm gonna, let's do cut 10, please. The January 6th thing, he, here's the biggest problem that I have with it. What happened on January 6th was bad. I don't like violence anywhere. I certainly don't like it at the United States Capitol. But the media obsession and Tim Ryan's obsession with this issue, while people can't afford the cost of groceries, where his policies have made it impossible for people to support their families, where we have a massive border security problem, where we know that big tech companies were actively being involved in the 2020 election in a way that hid Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's corruption, we can talk and think about a lot of different issues. And I think the political media's obsession with January 6th suggests they're not actually paying attention to the concerns of everyday voters in this state who are getting crushed by the policies that you supported. You know what else is interesting about this is how January the 6th, a lot of what their concern is, is not that there are four hours of people sort of rioting and taking selfies with beaver pelts on. It's that the, they were trying to do an insurrection against the government. They were trying to lead a coup. They were not accepting the results of our system, or the our Democrat, Democratic Republic that we're in. But, you know, the poster child of this, other than Hillary Clinton, who's not really doing anything important these days, is a lady named Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor again in uh, Georgia and has not 
accepted the results that she lost the last time around in 2018. Let's play cut four. This is during the Georgia governor debate that took place last night as well. Go ahead, Zach. Stacey Abrams. Yeah, Ms. Abrams, in 2018, you didn't concede defeat to Governor Kemp, and you talked to systemic problems with the state's election system. This election, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote, regardless of what it shows? And do you stand by your use of words like rigged four years ago to describe the state's election system? In 2018, I began my speech on November 16th acknowledging that Governor Kemp had won the election. Um, the But she actually has, the, the, this is, this isn't, there's feels like a partial clip because she um okay because she didn't concede she's never conceded so she never did so so she okay so now i see what's going on she's saying she conceded she never did and that's not true she's made that up that's so that's so willing she's so willing to lie wow that's interesting let's play cut five this is uh some of the clips we played this i think in the past but let's play this one one very affirmative statement to make. We won. But I didn't lose. I got the votes. But we won't know exactly how many because of how they cheated. I did win my election. I just didn't get to have the job. We were robbed of an election. She's using the word rigged, using the word steal. Do you think it's dangerous going into 2020? I, I don't because we can actually back it up. And so in response to what I believe was a stolen election, and I'm not saying they stole it from me, they stole it from the voters of Georgia. Whoa, it stole from the voters of Georgia. Okay, so okay, so now let's hear what she said again from yesterday. This is what she said she said now. Play cut four again. Stacey Abrams. Yeah, Ms. Abrams, in 2018, you didn't concede defeat to Governor Kemp, and you talked to systemic problems with the state's election system. This election, do you commit to accept the outcome of the vote regardless of what it shows? And do you stand by your use of words like rigged four years ago to describe the state's election system? In 2018, I began my speech on November 16th, acknowledging that Governor Kemp had won the election. Okay, I don't have that speech in front of me, but I do know that there's a whole lot of her talking about how the election was stolen. She she won her election. She got the votes. It was stolen from the people of Georgia. All right, Georgia, you can do better. You deserve better than Stacey Abrams. Let's see how that goes. Um, I would... I, 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 she's not the only person running who's a radical, though, in Georgia. We've got Raphael Warnock, and he's running, and he is uh, was in a debate with Herschel Walker, um, and Walker did very well over the weekend. And then he was doing an interview yesterday, and here's what's on Warnock's mind. Let's play cut six, please. We've been talking to a lot of voters who say the economy is a top issue for them. Democrats have been in control of the White House, of Congress for the past few years. Inflation has soared. Why should Georgia voters give you another chance? We are still in the throes of a pandemic that dragged on for more than two years. We're in the throes of a pandemic. So did he space out or do you think he means it? that we actually are in the throes of pandemic. I read a headline where I did a double take yesterday where Gavin Newsom, governor of California, said he's going to end California's COVID-19 state of emergency. You know what that means? California is still currently in a COVID-19 state of emergency. It's pretty cool, right? It's a, you can just declare a state of emergency for as long as you want. Uh, Illinois, which is run by Democrats, as you know, is actually recommending vaccinated individuals still wear masks. They, uh, uh, the J.B. Pritzker, the governor there, who's the ambitions to be president, 
uh, and might be someone who could run as soon as this cycle. Could be as soon as this cycle. He believes that even vaccinated individuals, according to updated guidelines from just just last week, October the 14th, vaccinated individuals should still be wearing masks. So it used to uh, ask the unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated to wear a mask, and now they want all individuals to wear a mask. Dr. Fauci is out there, and Fauci was saying that he had nothing to do with the lockdowns. So I'll just show you the, the, uh, the uh, how uh, the how deluded he is. He's either way deluded or lying or both. But he was warning there's a couple new variants coming that are scary. And as we know, the beloved vaccines are not keeping up with them. So um, maybe we are. Maybe we're still in the throes of a pandemic. But California shut down their state of emergency. And you know that they don't want to drop emergency powers if they can avoid it. All right, uh, we have one other clip uh, back on the abortion issue. Um, this is a lady named Deidre DeGier who is running for governor of Iowa, and she's uh, almost certainly going to lose substantially to Kim Reynolds, who is a rising star in the Republican Party, definitely someone who could have a long future, potentially. Um, and the the you guys might recall that she did the State of the Union response and did a really great job, which is, you know, almost impossible. She did a really good job on it. Talking about appearance matter, another big issue. We got a clip of this one just because it illustrates a point that I've been making and would like to make again. So we cut one. Well, do you believe then that a a woman can abort a baby right up until it's born? So what I believe... Do you believe in late-term abortion? That's a really good question. And, And what I believe is that my personal belief has no space in a woman's doctor's appointment. When she goes into that doctor to make a decision that's within her best interest, that that is her decision. And and my personal belief should not be in that room and no other politician's uh, opinion should be in that room. And I'm... Yeah, no other politician should have an opinion on whether or not a, a child who is alive and has fingernails and has a heartbeat and could easily live outside the room, whether or not the child has any right to life at all. It's just between a woman and her doctor. I just don't understand this, how slaughtering the unborn is just being perceived as if the unborn has no voice in it. Is it left that bubbled, or is there just too much money from Planned Parenthood and too much tradition they can't get past it? That just traditionally they're just pro-choice. They can't come off as bad idea? It's a terrible idea. The late-term abortion is a terrible idea, and the left is free to just say, all right, we're moving on. We're moving on. We're not going to do it anymore. You know, maybe you can make some sort of case first few weeks are not the same as the last few weeks of the pregnancy. Uh, it's tough to do, really tough to do, but maybe you can try that one. But just the, it's, it's between a woman and her doctor, whether or not to slaughter some in the third trimester. And why stop there at the, this day and age, the modern medicine? Why stop third trimester? Why not fourth trimester? Why not fifth trimester? All right, so you see why Republicans might be uh, pulling ahead in some of the generic ballots here? So big win for Governor Kemp, according to everyone who's paying attention. Um, another race to keep an eye on is in Utah, where Evan McMullen was paid, uh, has paid $1.6 million to Democrat firms. He's going against Mike Lee and acting like he's an independent. 
and he won't even caucus with Democrats. It's not true. He's a never Trump guy who is the same as Democrats, and he's just running a different strategy. His strategy is to try to separate Republicans from Mike Lee. And if he can do enough of that, then he'll have a chance to win because there's no viable Democrat in the race. So the um, this was the guy who they propped up, the Never Trump crowd propped up, try to take votes from Trump in 2016, try to win Utah for whatever reason. I don't know what that was going to be about. It was, it was always doomed to fail, and it did. <laughs> But it got some media attention for a while when we were all in the, that very confused news cycle around um, Trump's election. So the he's running against Mike Lee in Utah, and uh, it's closer than people think because there, a lot of people really focus on that race. Mitt Romney, you know, has not been helpful. Lee's supported by every Republican in the Senate, aside from Romney, the other uh, uh, the other senator. Um, and uh, Mike Lee is very close with Ted Cruz, supported Ted Cruz's efforts to look at the 2016, I'm sorry, the 2020 election results, not necessarily to overturn the election, but to at least look at it. And that's sort of been the centerpiece of the campaign, portraying Lee, who's a, you know, a, a real constitutional scholar and someone who's a deep thinker. I don't agree with Senator Lee on a bunch of stuff. He's been very bad on Google, for example, the most evil business in the world. It's been terrible on Google. But overall, Lee's a very thoughtful person. When you disagree with him, he's not coming out of nowhere. And, you know, he's kind of being portrayed as this madman who wanted to throw out the republic. But um, McMullen's fundraising with a lot of Democrats, and he's employing a lot of Democrats, and he's teaming up with all these never-Trumpers who fought very hard to get Hillary Clinton into the White House. And his campaign managers work for Obama and Hillary and Bloomberg, other Democrats as well beyond that. So, and then he goes going out and saying he's not a Democrat. Okay, maybe you're not. But he also said he supports amnesty for illegal aliens. So he likes the amnesty, works with Democrats, caucuses Democrats, or maybe he won't caucus Democrats. Maybe he'll just be by himself. Maybe he'll just be by himself. Tulsi Gabbard is going to campaign for Carrie Lake and Blake Masters in Arizona. This makes some sense to me, but I think it's it. I think it's good for her profile, and it seems like on the issues she's probably pretty close to those two. I'm, I'm happy about this because Tulsi's sort of a force of nature politically, and I don't agree with all of her positions, but she's very popular because of her persona online, which is, you know, very uh, compelling. So I'm glad to see that she's going to be out there and actually walk the walk, go campaign for some of the good guys, Carrie Lake and Blake Masters in two of the most important races. Uh, Carrie Lake, I think, is, I, I, I hope she's going to win. But part of it is she's going up against this lady, Katie Hobbs, one of the worst candidates, and refuses to debate, which I think is a threat to democracy. Um, and Blake Masters is one of the best candidates on the issues running for Senate, both in Arizona. So and Carrie Lake, of course, could be a superstar. You know, she could be on the presidential ticket this cycle or next. Uh, potentially. So those are really big races, and I'm glad she's getting involved there. It's a good sign because there's a lot of Tulsi Gabbard skeptics in this audience, I think, and rightfully so. Um, one thing that's really interesting, I was looking into Nike co-founder Phil Knight said he's willing to do anything to stop Democrats from winning the Oregon governor race, and that didn't add up to me. I thought, how could the Nike co-founder, how could he be uh, supporting Democrats? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it was supporting Republicans to that level. And I looked into it, and over the last decade, he's donated pretty consistently to Republicans. 
So he's sick of the woke stuff and the social justice stuff, which is annoying because Nike is responsible for so much of it. So I wish he would be more vocal because uh, I didn't know. I didn't know Phil Knight was a big uh, Republican donor because the company is just so repulsive, one of the worst companies there is, Nike. But maybe he doesn't have any uh, sway over there anymore. But I found that interesting that we're even talking about Oregon, which is true. We are in Washington as parts of the country where maybe the Democrats had gone too far and maybe the uh, parts of the state that um, are uh, more normal, maybe they have a better chance. Uh, maybe those parts of the, 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 maybe they have a better chance this election cycle given the various things that are happening in the country to try to restore some sanity to some parts of the world that really could benefit from it. Oh, wow, here's a good one. Uh, Peter Strzok donated to McMullen. So, the two lovebirds, two lovebirds. Disgraced FBI agent involved more than just about any person in the Russia collusion hoax. Um, that the, 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 the smelly Walmart people, you know, this famous line. He's big, big, big McMullen guy. Obama said the Democrats are being buzzkills and obsessed with Trump. He was on the Pod Save America podcast, which is a uh, former Obama people, Obama alumni who podcast. And they love Obama. They think Obama's really cool. And Obama called Democrats buzzkills. He's so right on this. I don't think it helps their cause, but he's certainly right on this. I have a lot more to get to. American families are $6,000 poor, according to a study, thanks to Joe Biden's inflation. So American families have lost 6000 annual wages thanks to the Biden inflation. A, a Heritage Foundation study revealed over the weekend. Feels a lot more. Doesn't it feel a lot more? I um, picked up dinner for my family yesterday at a, a, a teriyaki chicken bowl restaurant. And for two adults and two children, we ran up the bill somewhere into like $58, which is just insane. Like that that would be, I mean, I used to think that those, that was maybe under 20 bucks you could do. <laughs> maybe I just spaced out and all of a sudden seemed like the, the, the price has tripled. Like it didn't seem like that we're seeing marginal difference every month. Uh, but, um, you know, we're seeing price of Halloween candy go up, which is reducing spending on Halloween, which will probably be a preview of lower spending over Christmas and the holidays, etc. So people are just getting crushed. Heritage fellow EJ Antoni said, yeah, no kidding. It's not the price of caviar and yachts. It's the necessities like egg, milk, flour and soup. These things are up 20 to 30 percent year over year. That's right. So we track all of the indicators at uh, Breitbart and John Carney's is really meticulous going through every piece of data that comes through. And um, I think that the, the, the there's no doubt that um, this is going to affect a lot, a lot of families uh, a big way. Let's do uh, Oliver at uh, the top of the hour, guys, because I got a lot of news I want to run, run through. So we got and we got a full hour open next hour. So let's um, uh, let's 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 reroute. Uh, in that way. Okay. Um, so next thing up that I wanted to bring up, I wanted to check in with the odds of a recession hitting. Bloomberg has now reported that a recession will be uh, at a hundred percent chance next year within the next 12 months. 
U.S. economy is effectively certain to enter a recession in the next 12 months, according to model projections by Bloomberg. It's so funny because we had two quarters of negative growth, which is recession by every definition. And yet we were told that we might not be a recession. But if everyone feels like we're in a recession and then eventually we're going to get to a point where it's obvious that we're in a recession, then maybe this backfires. Maybe this backfires on the people who kept insisting that we're not, maybe maybe we're not in a recession. So, because then we just have to announce we're in a recession later. So we sort of get worse news cycles. So anyone who's trying to say, oh no, we're not in a recession, no recession, Jack, no inflation, not a joke. And then um, Obama, uh, the, the Obama, Biden grabs his shades in his uh, ice cream. Um, but it is now we're at a guarantee that things are going in the wrong direction, according to Bloomberg Economics, which is not uh, unsupportive of Joe Biden's agenda in general. So Bloomberg News describes this as a blow to Joe Biden's economic messaging ahead of the November midterms. Really? The, the fact that we have a certainly the economy is going to get worse over the next 12 months is a blow to Joe Biden's uh electoral chances. The problem is that Biden's done nothing that actually could help the economy other than printing money. He also begged the Saudis for oil and failed, which, you know, kind of came and went from the news. But what else has he done that would actually improve the economy other than printing money, which has caused huge levels of inflation? I'm, I'm spacing out on it. Was there anything that was done? All right, let's talk about a couple of cultural items. Oh, George Clooney says Republicans are a threat to democracy. I'm scared. Shaking in my boots. So uh, Kanye West went on Chris Cuomo's show. Chris Cuomo, you guys might recall, formerly on CNN and formerly on uh, SiriusXM. He's now on something called News Nation. Recall, News Nation does not include a space between news and nation. It's really cool. That is a cool thing to do. Drop that space is looking cool. And uh, he's got a show. He's pulling in about 8,000 people in the key demographic, which is not many. So I don't know who's watching this, but uh, Kanye's been largely deplatformed, so maybe that's why he showed up. And uh, Double Down as anti-Semitism keeps doing it over and over again. It's referred to a Jewish underground media mafia. I wonder how Cuomo's pushback was on that. I, I, I can't say I care that much what Cuomo's up to, other than make fun of him. Fredo, they call him, the dumb brother from The Godfather. So a Jewish media mafia is what he was complaining about. And uh, the that's, that's just ruining his career. It's the Jews are ruining his career. It's not that he keeps going on media and lights himself on fire with anti-Semitic comments. So I, mo- I brought this up on yesterday's show, but later. So if some of you want to chime in on uh, Kanye buying Parlor, he's allegedly going to buy Parlor. I'm not sure how much it's going to cost him. Might not be a ton. Um, but Parlor is, is the social media platform that was famously shut down by Amazon when Amazon kicked them off their servers after January the 6th. And um, Parlor is owned by Candace Owens' husband. So it's basically Candace and Kanye are getting into business together and it's a social media platform. Um, and it's interesting now because Elon Musk is going to own Twitter. Donald Trump owns True Social. Kanye is going to own Parler. I think they all tend to arrive at similar political worldviews, even though they have different ways of getting there, vastly different ways. And they're going to own all the major, all these major platforms. 
And I just wonder how that's going to go. But have any of you given some thought to the conversation we had yesterday that it's time to stop acting like Kanye is not an anti-Semite? I don't know why we were holding on to that. There's plenty of that going on online. And it's very clear what the logic is. The logic is if a guy we like says something anti-Semitic, it's okay because we like him. That was mostly the logic that I was hearing from people. We like Kanye, so we're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that his anti-Semitic statements might not actually be anti-Semitic. Um, but they are, they are. He's got these thoughts in his brain, in his heart, and um, it hurts him because he was a, I mean, he is a good rapper. So, and he's, I, I don't know if his fashion stuff is that good. I know it's, uh, gets attention. I was talking about this with John Binder yesterday. It's also part of our podcast, Breitbart News Daily Podcast, which all of you can subscribe to, about how the uh, about how he actually dresses terribly, but a lot of fashionistas do dress terribly. All right, other things that are out there worth your attention. There's a video that was going viral of a man who was dragged to death in Los Angeles uh, during an area carjacking. So very sad. A guy named Larry Walker, 63 years old, of La Habra, California, dragged to his death during a carjacking. Uh, Larry's also not a white person. So a murder suspect was arrested for this. I'm not encouraging you to watch the video. I am noting to you that the main victims of the lawlessness in our society are not always the rich whites. Sometimes it's normal people who do, are not white. And this is where I think we could see more red wave evidence is that I think a lot of people who are in the, uh, the black or Latino communities, are there really these communities? I know we all say this because there's no real better way of putting it, but they might be getting the picture here that they're getting failed by their city governments, <laughs> that they're a climate of lawlessness um, is leading some of this stuff. You get your car jacked and then you get dragged and then you're dead. And whose fault is that? It's a, of course, it's the bad guys, but it's also the environment where the crime is thriving and the crime is thriving in these environments are run by Democrats. I, I recommended this also later in the show, but everyone should go see the video um, from yesterday where chaos in Minneapolis is crowds brawl in the street, harass a police horse. Um, and then police are uh, overwhelmed. The police are just standing there watching it happen. And I have to say, I'm somewhat sympathetic. They have to get involved, and I'm not uh, excusing it, and I don't know all the protocols. But the police look like they were standing there going, like, how do we even get this under control? Because there are just people spilling out on the streets, all sorts of violence, people beating up people, people twerking on top of cars. And then there was some mounted police, and they were just getting harassed. They weren't really doing anything. But when you're in such an overwhelming situation like that, it's quite scary because we could get to the point where police are powerless. They are powerless against the bad guys in our big cities. But the focus in the bubbled liberal elite circles is whether or not we have enough trans procedures available for minors. This is what was the topic of uh, HBO's uh, John Oliver show, whatever it's called on Sunday night, which is the most popular of any of the late night comedy shows that are out there that are mostly political. But he was pushing for gender affirming care and uh, that trans kids can experience full, vibrant lives 
if they can undergo medical procedures. Of course, these medical procedures either are or put the child on a path towards chemical castration and mutilating their bodies, largely because they're in this, they've been swept up in a fad or a hoax. And there are groups like Planned Parenthood, which is starting to get into the business of trans surgeries that are preying on these children. And they're being propped up by the celebrity class. It's being framed as LGBTQ rights. And they're advocating on behalf of puberty blockers, like altering the, the body chemistry of children um, from comedians. Comedians are pushing this, not even doctors, not to say that the doctors would be credible on this anyway. Not psych- psychiatrists, psychologists, even to, who's to say they would all be credible on this anyway. But we are seeing, you know, the comedian class, the celebrity class, push for radical alteration of the chemistry of uh, children's bodies and their physical bodies themselves, perhaps even undergoing surgeries. Many of whom deeply regret them. All right, last one I'll bring up. I, I do recommend that you keep an eye on our coverage at uh, Breitbart.com of what's going on in Asia right now, in China in particular. Xi Jinping is having his coronation. This happens every few years where he is elected yet again to be the chairman of the CCP, the Communist Party Congress. So he threatened violence against Taiwan in his two-hour speech took place on Sunday and said all measures are necessary and on the table to annex Taiwan. Recall that Elon Musk had suggested that China do this, and then Musk was rewarded with a huge tax break to make stuff in China. So it was probably a business decision for Xi Jinping to try to sell out an entire nation of people who are standing athwart the communist regime in China, which can be a lonely thing. It was not as fiery of a speech as we've seen in previous Congresses. I think that he's probably beaten up a little bit from the pandemic and not just from it can't be super easy to launch a pandemic on the planet and then have to deal with that even if you hunker down the way uh, only Xi Jinping and the CCP can but it's still there they're still locking down certain cities now and there's no free press so we don't know the extent to which things how bad things really are but uh, she's declared that China is the leading world power who didn't know that and he wants Taiwan Um, And I'm not convinced that our administration would handle it very well if he tried to make a move. So the White House is totally unprepared to deal with China if China becomes more belligerent and uh, becomes more of a aggressive competitor. They're already competitor. They just have not been always overly aggressive against the United States per se. But it's now time to start making preparations to see if China is going to invade Taiwan and how we would deal with it. And uh, gaming that out, I don't have a lot of hope that Joe Biden is going to have the tools necessary. And uh, that's a shame. That's a shame because it's going to put us in a really bad spot. Only bad scenarios if that happens. And it very well might.
guest today is Senator Marsha Blackburn. She probably needs no introduction to this audience. She's a politician who's on most often, mostly because she gets the key issues correct, and she does tend to be pretty open with this audience, which I appreciate, at least as far as politicians go. And we get into a lot of really important topics from China to the Bidenflation to the, the red wave. Will it really happen? Plus more. Let's hear it. Senator, as always, there's a lot of topics on my mind today. I know there's a lot on yours. I want to get your take, though, on something that's a little off the board. Um, Xi Jinping right now is getting coronated yet again as the chairman of the Communist Party in China. And his speech that he gave a couple hours on Sunday was a, a little more muted for his standards relative to what we've seen in the past in these big events like this. But one thing that was pretty clear is that he set his sights on Taiwan and he said he's going to do everything he can to annex Taiwan. And I was trying to game out the various scenarios and if and how this would play out for America. And none of them seem very good. Uh, we are dependent on Taiwan for a lot of reasons, like semiconductors. Uh, they are one of our top allies, if not our top ally in the region. Uh, and we've got the the uh, we obviously don't want China to continue to develop more military might and more territorial hegemony. But we also don't want to go into a hot war with China. That doesn't sound very good. So if this happens, this could be very, very bad. And I don't know if the current leadership is equipped to deal with it. I imagine you've given this some thought. Uh, the, what is on your mind in this regard? I'm very concerned about what China is up to, the Chinese Communist Party is up to. And I think that as we talk about this issue, we have to draw that distinction between the Chinese Communist Party and the people of China, many of whom are suffering at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. But as we look at what they are doing over in the Indo-Pacific, you have to look first at Taiwan. And Taiwan considers themselves to be independent and sovereign. Indeed, they just celebrated their national day. Taiwan has a founding father. They have a constitution. They have a president. They have a parliament. They have a military. Uh, the president has a cabinet. All of these structures of government, just like other countries do. However, uh, this one China policy is something that drives these dictators like and authoritarians like Xi Jinping. Look at what he did to the Tibetans, the Mongolians. Look at what they're doing to the Uyghurs with the genocide. They go back into Hong Kong and they feel like now they have the Hong Kong freedom fighters under control. So where are they turning their sights? They're turning them to Taiwan because they believe even though Taiwan established themselves and declared their independence, that they are not independent of China. Now, here is where this really becomes so troublesome. When you look at the other islands there in the Indo-Pacific, and as you know, I was recently in Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, and in Taiwan. But they, these other islands are very concerned about the bullying that the CCP is doing to Taiwan 
and they're concerned about the aggressiveness. They're concerned that China may go in and try to overrun Taiwan. This is why it is so imperative that um, that we make certain that Taiwan has what they need to defend themselves, that they are building up their defensive capabilities and that asymmetrical battle posture so that if if China were to try to move forward on them, then they would be able to defend themselves. Yeah, interesting. And I think that the, do do we have any confidence that they could defend themselves? And then if not, what are our moves? Uh, I, I feel like the important thing is to continue the foreign military sales and training to Taiwan so that they can defend themselves and so and others should be out there helping them also. You know, when you look at Taiwan, they look at their traditional trading partners and they're looking at Japan, they're looking at Australia, they're looking at New Zealand, of course. They do some trade with China also. But it's important that others that are allies of Taiwan jump in and help. What we have to realize is Xi Jinping is watching what's happening in Ukraine with Russia and Ukraine, and he's watching that very closely. And he's trying to measure the amount of outside support that the U.S. and our allies would give to an entity. This is important. It's a part of his calculation. And we need to be certain that these um, countries have what they need to defend themselves. Indeed, before, um, it was a year ago, I wrote over to the White House and said, now is the time for to beef up the foreign military cells to Ukraine so they have what they need to defend themselves. It's also the time to keep those Nord Stream 2 sanctions, tell them if they go into Ukraine, you'll take Nord Stream with sanctions. Um, get some sanctions in place on Putin and the oligarchs and the country itself and say you can't go in and invade another country. So what is the, so do we ever end up having any accountability for any of the money that's been spent in Ukraine so far? Because I think so far in total, we've spent more on Ukraine than Russia spent on itself. Uh, And uh, do we know where all that money went or is it just, just gone and we'll never hear about it again you know alex we continue to ask for an accounting and for some of us uh the reason to vote no on the funding mechanism was because we could not get a guarantee of accountability and that just in time accountability of a timeline of when money is being released and what it is being used for. And indeed, we knew at the outset that humanitarian aid was very slow in making its way into into Ukraine for the Ukrainian people. Yeah, exactly. And this is something that, again, it kind of, it, it, it hurts the, I think there are a lot of people, particularly in my audience, who probably were sympathetic to the, uh, the Ukraine's cause and Zelensky and what he was trying to do at the beginning. And then it just becomes sort of a, 
uh, it becomes sort of a performance art eventually when we don't really know where the money's going and he's popping up on magazine covers, stuff like that. Just, 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 just noting that. I think it's worthwhile to point out. Um, I, did you have a take on the story that came out from Boston University that there's been apparently some experimentation to manipulate the coronavirus to make it even more deadly than it already was? Uh, and I, 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 this is all sort of coming together in the news. I'm not sure that... Uh, that there, that we got the full picture here, but COVID researchers combining Omicron and the original virus to test a strain of mice that's been much more deadly. It seems like something that could be uh, deeply concerning given the fact that we are responsible for funding gain-of-function research, it appears, that led to the current uh, pandemic, that we're still going down this road? It is of tremendous concern, absolutely tremendous concern, and we don't have all the specifics. We're still waiting for some of the specifics on this uh, to find out exactly what has transpired. But to think that there was gain of function being done on this to make a more deadly virus uh, is really uh, concerning. So we will we'll continue to work on that. We'll let you know when we get more information on it. But you better believe we're concerned about it after what we've been through with the pandemic. And then, of course, you know, Alex, we always continue, or I should say we are continuing to see the White House push for a permanent pandemic. Uh, We're not for a permanent pandemic, but they continue to say, well, we're going to extend the emergency order. Why are they extending that emergency order? The president himself has been very definitive in his statement that the pandemic is over. Right. And I was noticing this, that uh, California still is under pandemic emergency protocols. I know nationally we still have some. Uh, What is the justification for this? And I'm guessing you're going to say it's money. I know you've been talking about this recently. Tell us what you think is going on here. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. Number one, Uh, As soon as you declare the pandemic, then, of course, the federal agencies feel like they have the right to uh, spend more money because it is a health emergency. So part of the money, spending the money is a big part of that. Another is the control, being able to do the mandate. Uh, having the ability, if necessary, to do a lockdown, doing a lockdown. And, of course, encouraging mail-out ballots. That's a really big deal with them. Mail-out ballots, drop boxes. Uh, They feel as if that's necessary for them in these midterm elections. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. So are you under the impression that enough has been done to assure that the elections are going to be more secure than last time? I know there's been effort in, I think, 25 states to ban private money going to the elections uh, in terms of the actual administration of the elections. That's a positive. I wish that was 50 states, not 25. But have you seen noticeable improvement in the way we keep our elections secure? Because it seems pretty minimal considering uh, all of the uh, discussion we've had over the last two years. There's a couple of things at play there, and we've got many states that have tightened up their election law and have banned the private money, have banned these drop boxes that are not manned. 
and have put security provisions on absentee ballots or mail-out ballots. We also have some states that have required their counties to purge and clean their election rolls, which is fundamental to being certain that your elections are going to be secure. I worry, um, you know, I, I, I think that if you get it wrong at the outset, if your rolls are not clean, if you're mailing out ballots to everybody on a roll that has not been scrubbed, then you can recount for years on end and you're going to get the same numbers. It is that structure at the outset that has to be right. And this is the work of those county election commissions. And as we know, the Constitution gives the ability to set time, place, and manner of elections to the various state legislatures. That is their responsibility. And I'm pleased that many have moved forward and have taken that. I'm also pleased that a lot of people, I talk to people every day, many of your listeners who are going to work as uh, registrars at the polls or poll watchers or uh, help to help their friends and neighbors um, vote there as a poll worker. I think this is a really good thing. But the, because these are individuals that live in the community, they know people in the community, uh, they know how to watch those roles, they know when to um, raise their hand and say, I've got a question on this, to whomever is the election official at that polling place. So there's a couple of big factors here looking at the election. We're three weeks out as we're having this conversation for this time around. Uh, first thing is the issue. Second thing is money. So first thing with the issues, seems like Republicans are pretty dominant here. Polls are suggesting that the Democrats, particularly their leadership, are way out of touch with what normal Americans are interested in. Uh, didn't seem like it was a big secret, Senator. What was the main focus this time around? It seemed like it was going to be inflation. It was going to be immigration. It was going to be crime. Uh, and yet uh, that was not the focus for the Democrats. They spent a lot more time talking about Donald Trump and January the 6th, uh, things like that. Climate change, of course, even though we're in an energy crisis or a semi-crisis. Uh, break down the issues here, what you think is resonating with voters and what the disconnect is between the, the Democrat leadership and the rest of us. One, we continue to hear and to see wherever we are is that you've got that number one issue of the economy, inflation, uh, what is happening with jobs. Uh, you know, real wages have dropped the fastest in this, in this year. They've dropped faster than they have in 40 years. Disposable income has decreased faster this year than it has in 40 years. And so the Biden economy has hurt people to the point that in Tennessee, the average Tennessee family is going to spend an extra $7,300 a year this year just to tread water. And they, they, they have lost a lot of their buying power and their dollar Certainly. doesn't go as far. And so they're having 
to to work harder to make those ends meet. Now, let's say if you're an average family and uh, you lose $7,300, say that is equivalent to a month's earning or a month's take-home for your family. You still have the same amount of bills, but you have less money that you're going to be able to cover those bills. And indeed, bills like gasoline, uh, diesel, groceries, clothes for the kids, fees for school, even school lunches, those costs have all gone up, and you're having to cover it with less money. And I, I think that this is something that is going to uh, be at the front of mind of people when they go vote. Another is crime and the open border and border drives the fentanyl issue. The other issue that we're hearing a lot about is education and kids and CRT and what they're being taught in the classroom and the frustration with teachers unions, not classroom teachers, but the teachers unions and some of this jargon and um, stuff that they're spitting out. Yeah, I think that's uh, very well said. So let's talk about uh, fundraising, and it seems like the Republicans have a lot of political momentum. Um, uh, how do you think we're, the right is doing in terms of raising, being able to raise money because the Democrats are able to buy votes by uh, being more organized in this regard? Your thoughts? Oh, I have to tell you it's so frustrating to see how much money the Democrats are raising. You look at a race like Herschel Walker in Georgia, and that is a tied-up race. It is down to a few people that have not decided how they're going to vote. Well, Warnock has raised like $90 million. Herschel's done a great job. He's raised about $30 million. But look how much money is going into these campaigns. And, of course, they're going into races. It's people that are donating out of Hollywood and New York and Chicago and places like that. He, Warnock is not raising his money in Georgia, um, but he is raising a lot of money from around the country to come into his race. Fascinating. Uh, Senator, let me ask you about the agenda. What's first on your mind if the Republicans win in November? What do you want to do first? Next Congress. Get out of control spending under control. If we do that, that is going to help with the issue of inflation. And there are some things we can do immediately that will help. One is to freeze federal spending. Number two is to freeze federal hiring. And number three is to freeze federal salaries. And then when you do that, pull up my bill that calls for a a supermajority vote, a two-thirds majority vote to pass a spending bill during times of high inflation. And that's pegged at 4% by the CBO. But you know what, Alex, if you do that, and if during times of high inflation, you have to look very carefully at what you're going to allocate money for, and you have to get two-thirds of that legislative body to agree to even pass that budget, People are going to be a little bit more disciplined, and you'll see more discernment brought to bear and less of this, oh, let's throw caution to the wind and just print more money. 
Yeah, that's a very important start. Thanks, Senator. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee. Thanks so much for joining us today. He's on it. That's today's broadcast, and I appreciate the hard work of producers Zach Jones and Greg Eben, as well as Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics, and all of you who got your My Son Hunter DVD. Went to brightport.com, shared our content, left a comment. All that's very helpful, helps us grow and thrive. And we can't thank you enough. See you tomorrow. I'm in love.